tuning in to the 502nd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via, Ben Court from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual, going to have a great podcast for all you guys today, going to have Noah Chaluki on, a good friend of mine, uh, we used to do a sports show on JCU TV 4 when I was at John Carroll University called What's Your Take. Big Lions fan. We're going to head into that. His Detroit Lions. Talk a little bit about Justin Verlander. He was just in the World Series for the Houston Astros winning another championship. And we are going to talk about his time interning at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, before we get to all that, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and it'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitrate underscore Lane and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You'll find that I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, right? If you want the pop then right now we're not but just don't say anything because you know what your mama told you if you don't have anything nice to say don't say it at all and cut up next at the break on barbershop sports talk we're gonna have noah taluki on the show cut up next at the break on barbershop sports talk Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, uh, a really good friend of mine, uh, Noah Taluki. How you doing, man? Oh, Daryl, it's, it's so good to be back. Uh, oh my gosh, I feel like it's been a few years since I've been on the Barbershop Sports uh, Talk, but uh, but it, it's really good, and, and I'm uh, happy to hear your voice today. Do you remember the first time you ever came on my podcast? Oh, I think yeah, because it was it was in the dorm room at John Carroll, and I think we uh, we shared a mic or something like that, and uh, it was it was a good it was a good time. It was definitely a good time. Different setup, but a good time. Yeah, no, those are the days. It seems like, you know, as you get older, you don't realize how fast time goes. Because I was a sophomore, you were a freshman, and now we're just we're just talking off the air. You're going into your sixth year. You're still at John Carroll, and that would make me now seven years removed. Like. That's such a long time. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's crazy how time flies by, and uh, but happy we still stayed in touch, and, and happy for you out in Philadelphia now, and um, yeah, like, like you said, Daryl, this is my sixth year at, at JCU, and uh, as a grad, uh, second year as a graduate assistant in the sports information department, and uh, you know just nonstop working our sporting events that we have, and, and we've had a lot of success this fall, so. Um, you know, we, we've uh, we've had a lot of uh, playoff games that we've hosted as well. So it's uh, it's it's really really exciting times here as, as well. 
So let's start with this, Noah. You got a chance to enter with the Pro Football Hall of Fame over in Canton. Just kind of talk about that experience and what was it like? Oh my gosh, it was it was it was incredible. Um, you know, I've I've had other internships before. Uh, I've interned with the Lake County Captains. That's what I did last year for the uh, the affiliate, uh, the single A affiliate for Cleveland. Uh, and then I worked with the Rubber Ducks before, which is the Double A affiliate for Cleveland as well. And, uh, you know, I, I've had all these other internships, but, and, and I've, I've definitely gained a lot from those, but I've never gained more than I did with the Hall of Fame this summer. And, uh, you know, they had 1,500 applicants for 16 spots. Um, so it was very competitive. Um, and the other thing, too, is that these weren't just students from Ohio. You know, they were students from around the country. So I was interning with kids from California, from Texas, from Florida, um, Wisconsin, even New York, you know, so it was, um, it was a wide range of, of, uh, students from all over the country that I thought was really unique. Um, and then also just the hall of fame itself. I mean, I, I love football history and, um, you know, I would, I would like to consider myself, uh, someone that is very passionate about that subject and, uh, being able to, I was actually, so I, I actually interned in the archives department. I was the only intern in the, in the archives department of the hall of fame and, and what the archives is, is it, it uh, stores over 40 million pieces of artifacts related to the history of pro football. So this this goes, uh, this is a lot of, uh, they call it 2D items. So 2D items are like, you know, pieces, a lot of pieces of paper or books, stuff like that. Whereas the 3D items are more the collections. So that's the stuff that deals with the balls and the jerseys. And, so I didn't really deal as much with that because that's a, that was a different department than the archives. But the archives, like I mentioned, old newspaper articles, uh, there's a lot of personal collections with, um, uh, like, Paul Tagliabue's personal collection, the old NFL commissioners in there, uh, George Allen, the uh, Hall of Fame head coach uh, for the Redskins and the Rams, his is in there. And uh, there's a couple other personal uh, – Ralph Wilson's another one too. So, so the archives houses those personal collections, and a lot of those is – is uh, pieces of paper and everything too, uh, you know, with related to their football careers. Uh, player contracts is another thing they have. Um, game programs, and this stuff dates back all the way to, you know, even before the NFL was founded. Um, so it was just really cool being in the presence of all of that, and uh, and really getting more of a sense of the history of the NFL. And, and I mean, the, and the people I met there were were awesome. I mean, the the people that work at the Hall of Fame. So they really have a true sense of passion of, of really what they do. And, and they know that this is not only just for the Hall of Fame, but this is for the Hall of Famers. And this is for other people. It's not just about the Hall of Fame. It's, it's about others. And I really I really liked um, that that, uh, that they really preached that over there. Um, and then I was able to meet, uh, I think, about six or seven actual Hall of Famers uh, throughout my time at, at, the, at the Hall of Fame this past summer. So... That was that was really cool uh, to be a part of as well. What Hall of Famers did he get a chance to meet? So I met I met Jimmy Johnson, uh, former Cowboys head coach. Um, I got a funny story about Jimmy actually. So he was on. And so this was so the USFL, which is the kind of like the uh, they wanted to be like the minor league of the NFL a little bit. Uh, they they played their season um, in uh, in this summer, and they actually had the championship at the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame Stadium that's next door to the museum. So there was a, a couple days in the summer where they had the teams that made the semifinals come 
and uh, toured the museum and all that. And Jimmy Johnson, uh, with Daryl Johnson, who was uh, the Cowboys fullback in the 90s, uh, and, you know, Jimmy coached him with the Cowboys, uh, Moose, they call him Moose, Moose Johnson. He, he's a commentator for Fox. He's like a spokesperson for the USFL. So I think, and I, I met uh, Moose too, and uh, but I think he brought Jimmy Johnson around, um, uh, you know, just to help uh, promote the league a little bit more and talk to the guys. And the story is, uh, you know, I think someone asked him, they said, well, is, uh, you know, Coach, do you need anything? And he actually said, yes, like, I need um, I need two sugar-free Red Bulls. <laughs> and I said, I said, okay, like, because I, I was right there. I said, Coach, I'll, I'll get you some. So I went to the cafeteria at the Hall of Fame, and they didn't have any. So I remember thinking, like, there's a Circle K about, like, a, like a quarter mile down the street. Maybe I'll just run, I'll, I'll just drive my car over there. Get some, get some, uh, uh, some Red Bulls and uh, sugar-free Red Bulls, and come back. So that's so I said, Coach, I'll, I'll be right back. So I went over to Circle K, bought him two Red Bulls, and came back. And he, he thanked me. You know, he, he even paid me back. I said, You don't have to pay me back, Coach. But it, it was uh, I'll never forget. I'll never forget that about about Jimmy Johnson in particular. Uh, and then the other guys, I uh, a couple others. I met Isaac Bruce, um, Hall of Fame receiver for the Rams, the greatest show on turf. Donnie Shell. Um, Steelers safety in the 70s and 80s, uh, who's also in the Hall of Fame, of course. Um, and then there was a couple other guys that I just met through, because I, I was able to work in Shrine the weekend uh, when the guys got inducted. I didn't actually meet any current Hall of Famers, uh, the guys from this year's class, um, but I was able to meet other guys from the past. I was able to go to the uh, Gold Jacket Dinner, which is at the Kansas Civic Center, which um, that was really cool to be in the presence of all the Hall of Famers there. Um, and it's really, really nice sit-down dinner that they have hosted by Rich Eisen of the NFL Network, and uh, that's that's when the guys officially get their gold jackets. So um, I met a couple couple more over there as, as well. What was the best thing about the dinner? The dinner? Oh, i got to say, so I was actually in the VIP area before, so the VIPs were all basically all the Hall of Famers, um, and they, because they kind of, because what they do is, the current class is the ones that really attended the dinner. The guys from the past who are in the Hall of Fame, they are they go, but they don't actually eat. They just go, and then um, they kind of make a tunnel for the guys, the new guys, as they're and they all walk up to the stage uh, as they call each of the current class, and then they get their jacket. You know, so it's like it's like a tunnel welcoming them with all these Hall of Fame. It's, it's actually really really cool if anyone's ever seen that. But there was kind of like a like a holding area for for the the past Hall of Famers, and they were all talking and, and really catching up with each other. And um, I thought, and I just I was in that room, and, and I, I just remember thinking to myself, I am just surrounded by greatness <laughs> with, with all of these guys, and a lot, you know, some of these guys are on the NFL 100 team, you know, the 100 greatest players of all time, and um, you know, just walking past, you know, like my even like one of my heroes, Calvin Johnson, growing up, you know, he was he was there. Um, you know, and yeah, I saw Steve Young and, and Ed Smith and, and Warren Sapp, like those those guys. And I'm just thinking, like this is, there is just so much greatness in this room, and it, it's it was pretty it was pretty incredible. I would say that that was definitely my favorite part of the dinner. When you got to intern at the Hall of Fame, what was something that you got to learn or witness there that maybe you didn't know or didn't expect going into that experience? Uh Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, well, I didn't I didn't I didn't expect to be able to meet all these people. <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect to, to to be able to meet the Hall of 
Bears, and then there was even um, times when uh, we had a couple teams come uh, as well. So the, the whole Cleveland Browns team came um, to the Hall of Fame. They actually practiced. Uh, they had a mini camp practice in early June there, and then the, the, the rest of the day the, the team came. And um, So I was actually able to give a couple of tours to a couple of the players on the Browns uh, of, the, uh, of one of the wings of the museum, and that was actually – that was actually a really, really cool experience, and something that I didn't—that was not the job description, you know—that that, uh, that a team was going to be coming and, and, and all that. Um, and then also the the Las Vegas Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, both their teams ended up uh, the whole teams uh, toured the museum, so I was able to help out with that a little bit as well. And of course, those were the two teams that ended up playing in the, the Hall of Fame game, which was the the first preseason game, uh, you know, of the NFL every year, which is at the Hall of Fame Stadium. So. Um, but I would definitely say I was not expecting, you know, any any full teams like that to, to show up and, and tour. So you were uh, working a lot with videos, right? Uh, what were some of your favorite videos? I assume you got to watch all this stuff. Like, what are some of the coolest and most interesting stuff that you got to watch? Well, well you know, it's, it's actually interesting, Daryl. So, so I didn't really work a lot with video. And that's actually something that I thought going in that I thought the Hall of Fame actually had archives of. But they don't really have as much video, and the reason for that is because NFL Films is the, is the company that, that really deals with preserving the history of the NFL through film. So they, you know, the NFL, NFL Films is owned by the NFL. So they are the, so the NFL, you know, they have rights to all that stuff, whereas the Hall of Fame is a, it's a separate entity, it's a non-profit, it's not owned by the NFL. So the Hall of Fame actually has to ask permission by for NFL for the NFL and NFL films to use certain films, and then of course, if whatever films they need, they can get sent over to uh, from NFL films to the Hall of Fame. But uh, but yeah, the NFL doesn't really ha- or the, I'm sorry, the Hall of Fame doesn't really have much film necessarily in their in their archives. So yeah, that's actually very interesting. So then, what was your day to day? What did your day to day look like? So day to day, it was more so um, helping uh, doing. It was a lot of research. So, uh, for example, these you know we had there were eight guys that got inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Um, there was Cliff Branch, Richard Seymour, uh, Art McNally, the the referee, the uh, Dick Vermeil, the co uh, the coach for the Rams, Eagles, and Chiefs, and then there was. Uh, you know, four, four more. Oh my gosh! I don't know why I'm blanking on this. Um, but basically, they uh, each, so each player has at, in the NFL archive or the Pro Football Hall of Fame archives. Each player has a file, and the each file contains newspaper clippings and information about their entire career. So a lot of these newspaper clippings go from like, you know, when uh, a lot of it's like feature stories of, of, of these players and and um, information about their careers through you know like uh, some of them I found was like when they when they got fined once or when they uh, uh, something about their contract like it was even stuff like that too beyond just the feature stories but a lot of this stuff you can't really find in other museums. Or I'm sorry, and on uh, you can't really find online um, because a lot of that stuff was pre-internet age. So basically, a lot of like my day to day, especially early on, was 
I looked through every single one of those eight players' files and every single press clip or press clipping and newspaper article and all that, and I gathered as much information as possible on each player that was uh, being in coach and contributor that was being inducted into the Hall of Fame for for this 2022 class. So it was a lot of reading articles and then typing it up on a Word document of of um like for example like Tony like Tony Baselli, uh that was actually one of the other guys that got in with the, uh, the Jaguars uh, left tackle in the 90s. He was, well, something that people probably don't even know about, uh, about him is that like when he was in college, he actually bailed hay at a monastery where nuns live in Colorado, in his home state of Colorado. And this was when he was a tackle at USC. So in the summers, he would bail hay and I think even feed animals at this kind of like this farm at this, this monastery where, where Catholic nuns lived. And it's just stuff like that where it's like, I don't know if 99.9% of people even know that about Tony Baselli, but that was something that I found in a feature article that was done, I believe, by uh, Sports Illustrated or one of the game day programs or something like that where I, I found that, and that was in Tony Baselli's file. So that's just one example of information that I pulled that maybe like only the Hall of Fame would have and, and no one else. And then through that all that information, I was able to send that to other departments of the Hall of Fame and they were able to use, you know, whatever content they wanted for whatever projects that they were doing about the Hall of Famers or if the video team needed, like, a little fact about something, you know, they could pull from that. So that was that was one big thing, um, especially early on. And then another thing I did, actually, that was really cool was um, I actually got to uh, I got to scan a lot of um, – I got to scan Dick Vermeil's personal photo collection. Um, so he actually uh, loaned the Hall of Fame all of his personal photos – um, from basically his, his coaching career at UCLA to his career with the Eagles and the Rams and then the Chiefs. So a lot of the photos really entailed his, um, like these, these infamous team dinners that he would have with, uh, with his team. And this, this goes back, like I said, all the way to his UCLA, UCLA days. So these were just photos taken at his house. And, and uh, you could just see, like, I could just see even there was a couple of Hall of Fame players that he coached, you know, that were in these photos. And it was just really cool to see that and, and being able to scan those photos for the Hall of Fame's collection before we gave it back to, to Dick Vermeil and his family. Um, so that was one other cool project they had. And then kind of the second half, uh, they were doing a project where they were trying to digitize all of these old NFL media guides. That's a big collection that they have at, in the archives is, is old uh, old NFL media guides that date back to you know the 1930s and 40s uh, for some of those older teams. But uh, basically, I was uh, cutting off the binding of uh, some of these old old media guides, and then we were scanning. Um, but there was another guy in there that, that helped scan um, each page in that as well. Um, so now teams, you know, in the Hall of Fame can have a, a, a digital version of some of these media guides that, that date back uh, decades. What's your favorite wing of the Hall of Fame? The wing? Oh, like the, in the museum? Yes. Well, you know, there's a... Uh, so if anyone's ever been, there's the the rotunda, which is in which is kind of like the main part of the museum. Uh, if you if you look from the outside, it's it's kind of like it's the dome that looks like a football. It's underneath. That's the that's what we call the rotunda, and um, that like I said, that's the main part of the museum. And I would say that was probably my favorite because underneath that is is a is a statue of Jim Thorpe, who uh, he was the first president of the of the uh, the National Football League. And then um, basically, like one of its first biggest stars. And then um, 
the old jerseys are kept, uh, and then uh, there's uh, there's a lot of other really really cool artifacts that deal with the history in, in that in that rotunda as well. So, so definitely definitely that section, and that's actually where I was when I was giving tours, helping give tours with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I was pointing out different uh, artifacts in in the um, in the rotunda over there. So that's. That, uh, that'll always have a special place uh, in me, that, that rotunda over there, for sure. If you were talking to somebody who's never been, uh, how would you kind of lay out, this is what you need to do when you get to Canton, you're seeing the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Well, you know, and um, I think I think one thing, too, is, I mean, you have to, the, the stuff in the rotunda, I think, is, is definitely key, because that's, you know, that's the original part of the Hall of Fame, and they, and they have a lot of, of key stuff there, too, but... I think one. I think another thing that people really need to check out um, if they visit is there. So they actually have two theaters there, um, and that you can sit and, and watch you know, this movie in. And uh, one of them is uh, you 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 walk in and it's like you're in the locker room. So there's lockers, uh, and then there's a there's like a um, there's a like a Joe Namath pops up on the screen, and he is like talking to you about greatness and excellence and all the values of the Hall of Fame. And you're sitting on these wooden bleachers. It feels like you're actually in the locker room. So that's that's actually one really cool theater with, with Joe Namath popping up, up, popping up on that screen. And then the other theater is actually a rotating theater where um, it, it's it's a Super Bowl film. So every year, NFL Films makes a Super Bowl about a, it's about 20 minutes uh, for the uh, for the Hall of Fame. And so it's a lot of uh, stuff from the previous Super Bowl. So you know that's. Rams and Bengals, so a lot of mic'd up, uh, you know, mic'd up players and highlights from the game. But it's just, it's it's way more than just that. Like they, they make it so theatrical and, and with music and, and just like any great NFL film. Um, so and that and then like I said, it, it like the, the theater rotates so that there's different scenes that are in different parts of the rotating theater. So now if you're more of a visual person. Uh, you know, and with with some action and, and, and film person, that that's definitely a section of the of the Hall of Fame for you. And of course, there uh, there there is always a modern section um, of uh, of the uh, the Hall of Fame, which is towards the end of the museum, and uh, that deals with a lot of more current players. So this is the stuff when you hear about when records are broken, or you know, this is the uh, this is these are the gloves that he caught his whatever pass with, or this is the jersey where. Justin Herbert broke the rookie passing record, you know, so that kind of stuff is in the more modern section, and that stuff is the artifacts uh, in jerseys and balls and all that 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 change often. So there, it's not like it's 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 there forever, you know. They they uh, change it out with different things that happen throughout the season. So uh, you know, for for more modern football fans, you know, that's that's uh, more of the section for you uh, as as well. That's really cool. Uh, for you, you said you got a chance to be uh, at Enshrinement Night. You were there at the, in Canon for Enshrinement Night, right? Mm-hmm. What's yeah. the electricity like in the moment? Like, because I don't think people realize. I mean, I've never been, but you can when you just hear some of the stories and all these guys kind of talking about the path to greatness. Right? A lot of people they look at the end result, but they don't always read the story. It's like people read the cliff notes, but they don't read the book. What was that kind of like? I, you know, I, I thought it was really awesome, and it's, uh, and it, and it really goes back to the research I did on these guys. Uh, and you know, a lot of the facts and figures that I read up in these articles is stuff that ninety nine point nine percent of the public does 
because some of this is what was brought to life in their speeches. So, like, for example, Bryant Young, um, defensive tackle for the 49ers from 1994 to 2007, um, you know, he talked a lot about uh, when he lost his son. And his was probably the best speech of all of them. Um, and because it was, I just felt like it was, it was one of the most heartfelt, and he got emotional when he was up there. Um, but talking about his son that, that lost his life a few years ago, um, that really resonated with a lot of people, I think. And I, I think it, it's, the speeches are important, too, because it help, I think it helps humanize the guys a lot. Because I think when some people look at Hall of Famers, they think of these guys as, as more than human. You know, they, they think of them beyond uh, just a normal human being and, a, and having a normal life. But at the same time, they are human, you know, and, and they have the same um, human characteristics as all of us. So, um, you know, and I think just some of these speeches really, really humanize who they are. And I think Bryant Young's in particular just showing that emotion because, you know, typically football players are not supposed to show emotion like that. But, you know, showing that and, and, and really – and there were other guys that, that showed emotion too that um, just that they finally made it to the top. I mean, this is the pinnacle of professional football. Like, this is this is the Hall of Fame. Like, this is the high you, – you can't go any higher than this, you know, in terms of uh, your football career uh, in, the, in the NFL. So, um, it, it's – Real, really special, and uh, the speeches the speeches I thought were, were, were pretty good this year as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and then kind of next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, and you know we're going to talk a little bit about Noah's Lions, because Noah's a big Detroit sports fan. Cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. AFC Championship game. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. Stakes are high. Tensions even higher. Mothers anxiously waiting. Children in the stands, ready to cry if their team goes home and doesn't get a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Your pulse racing. He kicks, and you watch as the ball lands. Recovered. Onside kick. Oh, my gosh. Touchdown, Josh Allen. The Bills. They're going back to the Super Bowl. Only in my dreams, right? Now, make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. To make this even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins, just place a $5 bet on any football game. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code TPPN. Sports talk. We still have Noah Taluki with us. So, no, before we get to the lines, I do want to ask you this actually, really quickly. So, obviously, I know your man is JV, Justin Verlander. Uh, I, I just want to know how much have you been following him and uh, what would it mean if he gets another uh, World Series, another championship? 
Yeah, I love I love Justin Verlander, and I got to admit, Daryl, I haven't followed him as much with the Astros, especially the last year or two, as I did with the Tigers. Um, but I am I am really happy for him. He played. I I like to, I like to think of him as like the Tom Brady of pitching in the MLB because Tom Brady is you know they say he's ageless, right? <laughs> it seems like Verlander is just getting better with age. He, he's like a fine wine, I guess. <laughs> better with age. And, uh, I mean, he's playing, like, the best baseball of his career with the Astros. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. I think I think he ended the regular season this year with a 174 ERA. I mean, it's just like, it's just seeing these numbers, I mean, that, those are even better than his 2011 Cy Young numbers. And he's, and he's almost 40 years old. So seeing him get, get better with age, and uh, it's, just, it's just making me more and more confident that this guy is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer one day uh, in, in Cooperstown. But uh, I really, I do want the. I still cheer for the Astros uh, when they when they go to the World Series. Um, I, I, I especially it's mostly just because of Verlander, and uh, I, I, I want him to get that uh, that second ring um, this year. And I know they have the three two lead. I know last night he got his first ever World Series victory because there was especially in Detroit there was a thing where he just never performed in the World Series, and then that kind of carried o- over with Houston. But finally, you know, he's able to push through. And, uh, and and got his first win um, in, in the in the in the fall classic uh, yesterday. So uh, hopefully that that propels them with their three two lead uh, going back home to Houston for Game Six and Seven. Um, you know that they can get it done and, and get the ring. Where do you think Verlander for you ranks in terms of best pitchers ever? Because you just mentioned first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, best. What, what was that? Best starting pitchers ever. Oh, well, in terms because. You know, I know baseball, they like to do, you know, best lefties ever, best righties, you know, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, he's got to be, I mean, I think he's got to be in the top 20. I mean, just his, at least his, um, his, his, his pitch control, his, his presence on the mound. Um, you know, I just, I, and I don't, I don't like, you know, I, I typically don't get into these debates a lot, like who's the greatest and all that. But, um, I definitely, I, I definitely think a top 20 pitcher, at least starter in, in, in history. So now let's go to the Lions. Uh, started out, you know, I, I thought they started out fairly well. Uh, and then they've kind of, you know, I don't want to say become the Lions, but they're going through a little bit of a rough patch. I do like Dan Campbell, though. Uh, where are you right now with the Lions in their program? See, here's the thing, Carol. I, I've, always, I've always been a very patient Lions fan. You know, and I, and I, I really don't like to judge past history with new regimes. I think every regime deserves to get a fair chance. So, like, for example, when they first hired Brad Holmes as GM and Dan Campbell as head coach last season, I wasn't one of those fans that was saying, oh, they're going to fail because of the of, of previous Lions history. You know, I'm like, they're just set up to fail. You know, no, I was, I was able to, I, I really am one of those people that is wants a clean slate and uh, wants to judge each regime differently and not based on previous history. Um, now, I was also one of those fans that thought this might take a while. Um, and But then what's happening is the Lions fans now are starting to see the success of some of these teams that, honestly, they thought they were better than. Thought they were better than the Giants. Thought they were better than the Jets. Seahawks even having success this year. I mean, heck, the Falcons are in first place. You know, and so now what, what Lions fans are thinking is, so... These teams are supposed to be worse than us this year, but yet they're better, 
and they got better way quicker. So now it's like, well, why are they so good all of a sudden now? And why why is it us that has to take a long time with this this rebuild or rebuilding the rebuild or how how do you want to call it? But uh, am I am I a little disappointed? Yes, I am. Um, I thought we'd show a little bit more improvement, and I think in certain areas we have. Um, you know, I think like a guy like Jeff Okuda has has performed a lot better this season. Um, you know, I think Swift, DeAndre Swift went healthy has been you know one of the better running backs in the league. I think, uh, but I just I just think that there's just been and the offensive line's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's you know, so now there's guys that are starting to get hurt a little bit and. Uh, and then now it's like the window, you know, like what, what are, because now that, you know, after they traded TJ Hawkinson, you know, now one of these guys, are, are these guys want to, going to want to give up on this team in, in the next couple of years? Is the window just going to close? You know, Taylor Decker, uh, the left tackle for the Lions, he's, he's uh, been with the team for seven years. He's the, he's the, uh, the longest tenure lion right now on the team. And he, after the game, he just says, I'm exhausted. You know, so so thinking about like that quote, it's just like, how long is it going to be until these guys, you know, want to want to get out? I mean, just because they, I think especially a veteran like Decker, tired of hearing this rah rah, and you know, we're going to win, and then it just doesn't happen, and, and it's just like, when's it going to happen? You know, so I, I wonder when these guys are going to want to leave, like guys like uh, Decker and Frank Ragnow, the center, and, and some of these other guys. I, you know, I think it's just getting to the point where. You can have all the rah rah. You can be on hard knocks and, and all that, but if you don't, if you, if the NFL is just such a results oriented business that you're going to get run out of town. There's going to be public pressure to get you out. You know, if, if you don't win, I mean, Dan Campbell only he only has four wins in over 20 games now with the Lions. So it just and like I'm not saying that this is this is over by any stretch, but what I'm saying is that I expected more out of this team. At this point in the season, I didn't expect us to just have one win. You know, I expected us to have more of an upward trend in many other areas, and uh, it just it just hasn't happened this year. And also, Ma Ronse Brown was nicked up a little bit. Uh, Jameson Williams and he, their first round pick, he's not there in the fold yet. Uh, do you think though that Dan Campbell deserves another year? I, I, I and I do, uh, but here's here's the tricky thing though. This is this is where it gets a little tricky with Dan Campbell. So, I have a feeling that the Lions are going to draft a quarterback in the, in the, in the draft. And I think a lot of that, I, I think there's some signs that point to them drafting a QB based on the Hopkinson trade, um, based on Jared Goff's poor performance. I mean, when the Lions were having success offensively, it wasn't because of Goff. It was because of the other weapons. It was because of Swift. It was because of St. Brown. I wouldn't say we were we you know we were competitive in games because of golf and he and he's been a turnover machine the last couple games as well throwing interceptions he loves fumbling on sacks as well which is which is I I, I cannot stand that with quarterbacks one uh, as they like to say a uh, one fumble is one too many uh, for quarterbacks and Jared Goff has proven that he I, I don't I don't think he's he's the answer for the future for the Lions so signs like that point to me for them drafting a rookie quarterback but back to Dan Campbell so. I think the Lions are in a tricky spot because if they decide to bring Dan Campbell back for a third year, say, you know, his staff is going to draft a quarterback, but then say if you know a year or two down the road then they fire him, then the new coach is going to be stuck with a quarterback that he didn't even draft. So my whole thing is, if you so, it's just obvious that at least this season is is probably 
way down the drain in terms of, uh, you know, playoff spot or, or at least being competitive. I think that's pretty obvious by now. But it's, it's the fact that the future. So if you, in which, I, like I said, I, I really do believe the Lions will take a rookie quarterback. Do you just want to clean the house now, get rid of the coach, and then have a completely new staff? That staff will then be 100% invested in whatever quarterback that they draft. Because I think that's why that's why it's tricky. But why would you want Dan Campbell and, and all that stuff with a quarterback when they might be fired in a few years, and then the new regime might not even want this guy? So that's that's where the tricky spot is, I think, for for Brad Holmes and company. Do you think Dan Campbell will last to this third year? And, you know, and, and here we go. Like with, with okay, well, only if we were healthy or. Only if Josh Reynolds catches, catches the touchdown against, if he doesn't drop it against Miami, then then we, you know, would at least have a chance to tie, you know, stuff like that. It's just in the NFL, you you have to you have to do the little things correctly, and and a lot of it comes down to coaching. And I just don't think that, and, and you know, the culture's the culture is great in terms of uh, being player first, and, and it's just the culture in, in terms of that is is very opposite of what Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia was more of a dictator, like. And, uh, you know, the guys didn't really, the players didn't really respect him. It seems like the players, at least in that sense, respect him from, from that. But really in the NFL, it, it, unfortunately, and this is just how it is now, it just, it just everything comes down to wins and losses. And if you're not winning, then there's going to be a lot of public pressure to replace him and, and whatnot. Um, I, you know, the point I just made about getting, you know, when you draft a rookie quarterback, getting a new coach, with the rookie quarterback as well, I just, but, but my gut feels like maybe he should just get one more chance just to maybe see. But it's it's a tough spot, especially if you want to go if you want to go quarterback this year. But uh, but I, I like I said, I could see the Lions firing him after Thanksgiving or at the end of the year, or keeping him for just one more year because at, at least at this point it's just and, and no, and it's not like the Lions are getting better. It's not like Okay, they're losing, but they're but you can tell that they're getting better. It's it's not that, and that's what the problem is. Is that there was so much there was so much expectations to just have an upward trend, and we haven't seen that at all with the Lions this year. We thought we thought we saw it in the first couple games, but since then it, it, it's been a nosedive, and um, it's just it's just been very unfortunate. What's the biggest reason you think for the struggles as a plate? Oh, that's tough. Um, you know, I think I mean. I don't want to be this guy, but I think injuries a little bit, um, you know, especially when it comes to Swift and, and State Brown was out for a little bit. Um, and I just think straight up, they don't have a lot of talent. Um, it's particularly on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you're, right now we're starting a sixth round rookie middle linebacker, uh, uh, Malcolm Rodriguez. They call him Rodrigo. You know, and don't get me wrong, like Rodriguez is, is a nice piece, but is this a guy that should be starting in the league as a rookie? Probably not. You know, so the Lions have been forced to use some of these guys um, that are probably not starters on other teams. Now, I will, I, like I mentioned before, it is good to see Jeff Okuda kind of coming into his own as a cornerback. Um, you know, he's probably been the best defensive back of any of them this year. Um, but, again, a little thin on the defensive line. Um, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is very streaky. You know, he had three sacks against Washington, a sack and a half against Dallas, nothing else in those other games. Um, you know, Levi Anzarike and Aline McNeil, the two defensive tackles that the Lions drafted in Brad Holmes' first draft last year, 
have been complete busts so far. This Levi was a second round pick. Aleem was a third round pick. These guys have, have barely had any success with the Lions, and a lot of that has to deal with not only just them as players, but they haven't been able to stay healthy as well. Um, so I just wonder too: is Brad Holmes drafting the right guys? You know, the other thing is: are we attacking free agency like we should? Brad Holmes, in case if people don't know. The only experience that and Holmes has been in the, in the league for twenty years, uh, all all of which were with the Rams. But Brad Holmes was a scout. He was a director of college scouting. His experience for twenty years was always with the draft, with college, and I think that's why he loves draft capital. I mean, you look at him trading uh, for TJ Hawkinson, getting picks in return, not players, but picks, and uh, you know. Uh, Trading up for Jamison Williams, you know, more more value on the on the draft. The whole Stafford trade, you know, with, with getting getting um, uh, draft picks for him. So he just seems very draft focused, whereas he doesn't really have a lot of pro personnel, if any, pro personnel experience. And that's where it comes to free agents and, and getting guys off of waivers and, and stuff like that. And that's where I think the Lions are missing. And I'm not saying pay a guy like Trey Flowers, you know, $50, 60000000 million. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, be able to work it out with, with contract-wise, but being able to get some, some veterans on this team, I think there's either one or two things. I think either Holmes just wasn't good at selling his team uh, to these free agents, or he just didn't try he, he just really didn't try to pursue free agency. And I personally, I think that he's just very draft-focused, and he believes in, in building through the draft, and I, and I love that. But I do think that you have to mix it in with a little bit more free agents. Um, and I think that's why the Giants and some of these other teams have had more immediate success is because not only do they have some draft picks uh, that they're high on, but they also have coupled it with a couple of uh, free agents that have been starting for them as well. What quarterback would you like to see the Lions draft? You know, i I, I got to be honest. Like, I'm not... I'm not like a like a diehard fan of any of these guys this year. Um, now, like a guy like so so say the Lions end up getting you know the number one overall pick at least because as of now they they do have that one pick at number one. Um, I like I'm not I will say I'm not a fan of Bryce Young. Um, I don't like that he's 5'10", 186 pounds. Um, I just don't think quarterbacks like that at the NFL thrive. Um, you know, and then, but I, I mean, I do like a guy like CJ Stroud. Uh, I think he throws a really pretty ball. Um, I've watched highlights and like, I don't watch a ton of college football, but I have watched highlights of his and, um, yeah, he, he seems to have that escape, uh, approach to his game where he's able to escape from the pocket and make plays. And that's something that the modern day NFL quarterback needs. Um, however, he is a little inconsistent in bigger games. Um, which scares me a little bit, and so so that's why I'm not um, I'm not saying like I'm like I'm a diehard fan of, of any of these guys, but I do like some stuff. And then there's there's one other guy that really intrigues me in the draft, and that's Will Levis from Kentucky. Um, you know, he's a big guy. I believe he's listed at six five, six six. And this is a guy that has been in a profile system with Kentucky, has gotten better every year uh, in in that system. It has a little bit of a moxie to him. Uh, guys will play for him. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, maybe if, if the Lions want one of those kind of guys, um, maybe go with Lefts. I don't. I haven't really seen him play a lot this year. Mo- most of what I know about him is from last season. Um, but I think those probably those three guys, at least at quarterback, are, are going to be on the, the Lions' radar. 
um, you know, if if they really do want to draft a quarterback. But in my opinion, I think all signs lead to it for the draft. Yeah, actually, I like Will Levis. I think he has a really good arm as well, really good athlete. Uh, kind of like a baby Josh Allen in some regards. Kind yes, of, yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, of uh, that kind of ilk of player. I'll give you another name, Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Uh, he keeps playing well. I, I think he's going to be a guy who starts rising up people's minds in the draft process. Well, yeah, we uh, we shall see. I know, yeah, Tennessee's having a great year. Had that big win at home over over Alabama, and uh, you know he's one of the guys who's who's in the race for the Heisman as well. Um, you know, I'm just some, sometimes the uh, the one year wonders worry me a little bit, but uh, but yeah, you're right, Daryl. You know, he could be a, he could be a good option for uh, for the draft in April. Um, you know, if he, if he has a good pro day and, and, you know, he has a good combine and, and whatnot as well. No, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, Daryl. It's my pleasure. I always always like being on. I know it's, like I said at the beginning, I know it's been a few years, but uh, really happy you're able to have me on. And uh, best of luck with everything else with the uh, the Barbershop Sports Talk. And once again, I want to thank Noah Tulukey for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 502nd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.